Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we give thanks for your word and that we give thanks for your laws that you have granted to mankind and so that we rejoice in you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be studying uh, a passage from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, uh, which I encourage you to turn with me now to Acts chapter 20, which if you have, in church bi- if you have a church Bible, uh, may be found on page 1101, page 1101, Acts chapter 20, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 20, looking at verses 13 through to the end of the chapter. And this passage contains uh, an account of Paul, the apostle, and his, the end of his missionary journey as he heads back to Jerusalem. He's been journeying through uh, parts of Europe, and he has now started to make his way back to Jerusalem. And we read of that in verse 13 and following. Look with me at Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We read, we, that's uh, Luke, the author of, the God, of this uh, book of the Bible, uh, along with Paul, it says, and his companions, says, we, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for a sauce where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at a sauce, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So here we see the Apostle Paul making his way back to Jerusalem, and for some reason he wanted to be there in time for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. He wanted to get back there very quickly. And so that meant he avoided the town of Ephesus. Paul loved the Ephesian church. He loved the Ephesians. And in order to still have an influence upon them and still see them before he makes his way back to Jerusalem, he actually sends from Miletus for the Ephesian elders to come and see him. And we read that in verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And then the rest of the chapter contains... Paul's speech to these Ephesian elders. These Ephesian elders love Paul, Paul loves them, and so they meet up in Miletus, and he is then able to speak to them and give them some words from himself to them for their encouragement. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, and the first thing that we see in his speech to them is that he gives them an account of how he ministered to them in the past. Paul firstly speaks about his past ministry amongst them. And we read that in verse 18 and following. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 20, it says, When they, that's the Ephesian elders, arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So there we see the Apostle Paul recounting to the church in Ephesus, well, to the leaders especially, and anyone that came with them to see the Apostle Paul uh, for this flying visit. He recounts to them what it is that he did for them in the past. But he doesn't just speak of the past, he also speaks of the future. And we read that in verse 22. 
Verse 22, and he says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So here we see the Apostle Paul, he's spoken of the past, now he's speaking of the future, and particularly his future, his personal future, that is uh, going to, what, what is going to happen to him, particularly as he heads to Jerusalem. But he doesn't just speak of his future, he also gives the elders some instructions about the future of their church in Ephesus. And we read that in the following verses from verse 25. Verse 25 we read, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And with that, he ends his speech to these Ephesian elders. He's spoken about the past, he's spoken about his future, and he's spoken about the future of their church and how they should be ready for that future. And then we see the parting of these dear friends. Verse 36, it says, When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at this passage from Acts chapter 20 about the Apostle Paul. You may be asking, why are we looking at this today? We've actually been doing a series in Matthew's Gospel. Why are we looking at this speech in Acts chapter 20 today? Why are we suddenly jumped to this part of the Bible? Well, as we've said repeatedly, today we're commissioning Joshua Cura to plant a church in southwest Sydney. And because it's a special occasion for us, I wanted to have a Bible passage that would be appropriate for the occasion. And I did have something in mind a few weeks ago. Whenever I've got to do an occasional sermon, so to speak, it takes, it's a bit of a hard trial for me because I've got to work out where I'm going to go in the scriptures and what I'm going to say. A few weeks ago, I had a bit of an idea as to what I might say, uh, but I wasn't fully locked in on it. And then last Saturday, I actually went to, not yesterday, the week before, I went to a Thanksgiving service uh, for a minister who was retiring after 35 years of ministry in one church. And so this church was having a Thanksgiving service for that minister. And the preacher at that service, he preached on this very passage. Why? Well, Paul is speaking of his time that he was with the church and how he is finishing with the church and speaking to the church about what they should do in the future. 
And so you can see how it'd be quite a fitting passage of scripture to use for a church as they farewell their minister and as the minister farewells them. But why would I then use this text for the beginning of a ministry for Joshua Cura at a new church? Isn't this more fitting for the end of a ministry, not the beginning of a ministry as we are looking at today? Well, while the minister was preaching, I suddenly was struck by the Apostle Paul's description of the beginning of his ministry amongst the Ephesians, which we saw in verses 18 through to verse 21. And I realised as the preacher was preaching that this would be appropriate for the service today. You've got to be careful about being distracted in sermons about your own agenda, but I felt that the Lord was giving me the text that would be appropriate here for today because I think there's much good counsel that can be given to Joshua and even to us as we consider Joshua beginning a new ministry amongst a new people. What counsel is here? Well, firstly, you could say that there's counsel here about the life of the Apostle Paul and therefore the life that Joshua should lead as a minister of a new church. What was the life of the Apostle Paul like as he ministered amongst the church in Ephesus initially? We see there in verse 19, it says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. How did Paul conduct himself amongst the church in Ephesus? Well, it was with great humility and great hard work. He worked hard amongst them and there were tears as he served amongst the church. And so as Joshua goes into a new ministry, there's much he could learn from the Apostle Paul about how to live a life of humility, how to live a life of labour, and how to even at times cry to the Lord and before the Lord's people and before unbelievers. There will be tears in ministry. I know I've been in ministry for some time now, and there are tears in ministry. I can empathise with the Apostle Paul, and Joshua can be ready for such a life as well. But we could also focus on the teaching of the Apostle Paul as well while he ministered amongst the elders. You can look at the life of a minister, but you can also look at the teaching of a minister, his life and his doctrine. And we see the Apostle Paul in verses 20 and 21 tell us about his doctrine, what he taught the church in Ephesus. What do we read in verse 20? We read, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And that's what I want to do this morning. I don't want to focus so much upon the life of the Apostle Paul, but I want to focus on his doctrine, on his teaching. Why? Well, as people enter into ministry, there's always ideas of what you could do that would be helpful. We want to do what is helpful as ministers of the gospel, and there's always different ideas that are given as to what works, what is helpful, what is most profitable as we go into the ministry. We want to help people and we want to help them well. So what is it that Joshua Cura can learn from the Apostle Paul about what is most helpful for the people of God? What is most helpful as he begins a new church? Well, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said that he preached. In verse 20, he says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful or profitable to you. Paul was characterised as a preacher. 
His ministry was a preaching ministry. What is preaching? It's a declaring. It's a proclaiming. It's a testifying to truths that God has given us. It's an advising of people as to what they should do so that they can be helped. But what is it that we should preach? What should ministers preach? What did the Apostle Paul preach? What should Joshua Kura preach when he is at the new church? Well, like the Apostle Paul, he should preach repentance and faith. And that's what the Apostle Paul says he did. Verse 21, he says, I have declared, I have preached to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Apostle Paul preached repentance and he preached faith. What's repentance? Repentance is a turning from sin to God, leaving unrighteousness and turning to what is righteous. And what's faith? Faith is belief. Faith is trusting. It's a resting on something else. If you trust something, if you have faith in something, you rest upon it. And what is that helpful, profitable faith that the Apostle Paul preached so many years ago? Well, we see in verse 21, he says that he preached that people must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That is what is profitable. That's the kind of faith we need to preach. It's one that is not about other things, trusting in other things, but trusting in the Lord Jesus. What about the Lord Jesus should people be trusting in? Well, trusting in his death as atonement for sins, a cleansing of sins, of a way of forgiveness of sins, that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that they would not have to suffer for their sins. And of course, trusting that in Christ Jesus we are righteous, that his life the works that he performed here on earth are imputed, are attributed to those who trust in Jesus. There's this wonderful thing that when we trust in Jesus, our sins are put to his account and his works are put to our account. And that's what it means to trust in Christ Jesus. And so Joshua, as you go into ministry and plant a church, there are all kinds of church planting strategies that will be competing for your attention and telling you that this is what works. This is what will be helpful for you and for the people. This is what will profit you and your people. But the most helpful thing you can do, the most profitable thing that you can do, like the Apostle Paul, is to preach repentance, to preach repentance toward God and preach faith in the Lord Jesus. Why? Well, everything profitable for anyone in this world, flows from repentance and faith. Repentance towards God and faith in Christ Jesus. Everything flows through repentance and faith. Why? Well, it's as people repent, as people believe, as people trust in Jesus Christ, that they are transformed now. They start to live lives of righteousness, of righteous joy, giving God glory. It is through repentance and faith that they can do that. It's the only means by which they can do that. And as people repent and believe, they don't just live well now, they live for eternity. They're granted eternal life through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Humans every day, they're trying to be helped to live happy and healthy, to live well in this world, and they want that life they want eternal life. They want to live forever. And every day they are looking for answers. They're looking for ways to be helped. And it's through Jesus 
It's through trust in Jesus. It's through repentance to God that people can have life eternal. And so what will you be like as a minister? What will you be like as a minister, Joshua? You'll be like a doctor, giving life, giving advice. That's what you will be like. Why? All humans are sick. All humans are sick. They're sick with what? They're sick with sin. They're sick with sin. And because of their sickness, they're headed for hell. They're headed for eternal death in hell itself because of their sinful lifestyles. And so all humans need help. All humans need help to live better lives and to be healed from sin now and eternally. And the only means that God has given, as man searches for help, the only means that God has given is repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Joshua, you actually possess the means by which people can truly live. People are searching for answers. They're searching for ways that they can live better and possibly live even for eternity. You possess the means, the only means that God has given by which people can truly live, and that is repentance and faith. And so what does that then mean? You should preach. You should preach repentance and faith. And where should you preach it? You should preach it everywhere you possibly can, like the Apostle Paul. Because what do we see with the Apostle Paul in his ministry amongst the church in Ephesus? We see how he preached and where he preached. We see what he preached and where he preached. Verse 20, it says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. The Apostle Paul always was preaching repentance and faith. It didn't matter whether it was in public, didn't matter whether it was in private, he was preaching. Doctors are obliged to help people wherever they are needed. Doctors are always on call in one sense. They cannot say, I'm off duty, I cannot help someone who's having a heart attack. They're supposed to help that person. They're legally obligated in our nation to help that person. And it's the same with the preacher. He is never off duty. He is always on duty. When someone says, what must I do to be saved? You can't say, well, come along on Sunday and I will tell you. Know wherever you are, whatever house you are in, you are called to tell them to repent and believe and have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what else must you do? If you have the means by which you can help people, you're meant to teach people everywhere and you're meant to teach everyone like the Apostle Paul did because that's what we see here in Ephesians chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 21, it says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he also loved to preach to his own people. He loved to preach to all nations because God is a God of all nations. And so Joshua Kura is expected to preach the gospel to everyone, everyone who lives under our sun that comes into contact with him, he is called to share with them. doesn't matter what age they are, whether they're young, whether they're old, doesn't matter what gender they are, it doesn't matter what nationality they are. The minister is called to preach to everyone, from house to house to everyone. And that then also means that you're called to preach the gospel to yourself. You're called to preach the gospel to yourself and to Natalie, you're called to call yourself to repentance and faith as well. What's the most profitable thing that Joshua can do for himself each day? It's to tell himself to repent. 
from his sin and to keep trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the most profitable thing that Joshua Kura can tell his wife Natalie? It's to tell her to repent of her sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is to preach from house to house, what does that include? It includes his own house, the house of Joshua Kura and to all who are in it at any given time. He is to call them to repentance and faith. But what about if people are not interested in hearing about repentance and faith? What if it isn't well received, this call to turn to God and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, like the Apostle Paul, Joshua Kura must not hesitate to continue to call people to repentance and call people to trust in Christ Jesus. He must not shrink back because that's what the Apostle Paul tells us he didn't do. What do we read in verse 20? You know that I have not hesitated also translated as shrink or shrink back, to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Thankfully, some people want help with their sickness. They want help with their sin. They want help with the fact that they are going to die. And they will greedily take whatever you administer to them. They will want to hear the way of eternal life. They will want to hear about repentance and put repentance into practice. They will want to hear about faith in the Lord Jesus and have faith in the Lord Jesus themselves. But some will not want the help and will have to be convinced to repent and believe. Like the Jews that Paul struggled with in Ephesus. We read of them in verse 19. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Paul knew what it was to have people who were not interested in the means of life, in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. But he did not shrink back. He did not hesitate, but continued to preach. Why do people not want to hear about repentance and faith? Well, to repent means a humbling of self, that you have not been going the right way, that your ways are not wise. They are foolishness, and you need to turn and live a different way. And that requires humility. And we are proud beings. We do not like to humble ourselves and to turn from our sins and to submit to somebody else. That's what it means to have faith in the Lord Jesus. We need to submit to him. We need to stop trusting having faith in ourselves but have faith in somebody else to look after us. And that is humiliating. Sick people often do not want to admit they're sick. And they do not want to change. What don't, want, what don't we want to be told? You have to stop eating this. You have to start eating this instead, or you will die. We don't like to hear that kind of advice from a doctor. But what's a doctor to do? A doctor is to tell people what they like to hear, or a doctor is supposed to tell people what they need to hear. Joshua, despite opposition, like what the Apostle Paul experienced years ago, don't hesitate, don't shrink back from telling people what they need to hear, which is you need to repent. You need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us who are Christians, we mustn't shrink back from proclaiming repentance and faith either. Why? Why? Well, Joshua is very special to us. Today is very bittersweet for us. We love him dearly. We love having him amongst us. But Joshua is no more special, really, than you or me. He's a weak man, like all of us, but with a powerful message, 
a powerful message that gives healing to the soul, that gives life eternal to sinners. Joshua just stands in a long line, going right back to the Apostle Paul, but even to the Old Testament, to prophets like Ezekiel. What did we read in Ezekiel chapter 18 earlier? In verse 30, we read, Therefore, O house of Israel, the Lord says, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Same message. Repent. Turn away from all your offences, says Ezekiel, through the Lord. Uh, the Lord says through Ezekiel. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Joshua is just standing in a long line of people stemming back to the Apostle Paul, back to the Old Testament prophets, and of course, standing in line behind who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so we should also stand in line and tell people wherever we have opportunity, publicly, house to house, whoever is there, we should tell people to repent and believe. And I also must do that as well. I mustn't shrink back from preaching repentance and faith, even to you now who are before me. Some of you may be bored. Some of you may be questioning, how is this service profitable to me? I can see what they're doing and how prophets Natalie and Joshua and maybe the members of Des Moines Baptist Church, this is a special day for them. But how is this going to be profitable for me today? Some of you who are a bit younger, children, you think, oh, this is just for the adults. No, it's for you as well. You can profit greatly here this morning. How? Well, if you've never done it before, repent. Repent towards God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in the Lord Jesus. Confess you're a sinner to God and trust in Christ's death for yourself. If you've never done it before, do it now and have life for eternity and start to live well in this world. Live a life of contentment and peace. Even as troubles come, not saying that you won't have any sufferings ever again in your life if you repent and believe. No, but there will be a peace and a joy that cannot be quenched by suffering, by pain, even by death. Because God has healed, has cured the sin that is within. And even if you've done it before, even if you've been a Christian for decades, profit again. Confess you're a sinner. Confess to the Lord for your sins, even in these last days, last week, Confess to him that you're a sinner and, Christ, and trust anew in Christ's death for your sins. Come to Christ again by the power of the Holy Spirit now and confess that you're a sinner and that Jesus is your saviour. What's easy to do this morning? What's well, easy to sit there in judgment of my sermon? What is harder to do? To sit there and repent of your sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. What's better, to sit in judgment or to be led to repentance and faith anew? And so to profit, to be helped by this sermon that you're even have hearing now. But what is that profit? What is that, that
the help that we receive? Why should Joshua make repentance and faith the hallmark of his preaching ministry? Why should he always be calling people to repent and believe? Why should I be doing that as a minister of the gospel here at Des Moines? Why should you as believers be proclaiming repentance and faith by the Spirit's power wherever you have opportunity? Well, as I said before, it cures souls of sin now and for eternity. God said in Ezekiel many, many years ago, repent and live. Repent and live. Which means a soul, a house, a household, a church that doesn't repent and believe in the Lord Jesus is a dead soul, is a dead house, is a dead church. But a soul, a household, a church that repents and believes is a living soul, is a living house, is a living church. And why should we desire a living soul, a living house, a living church? Because living souls, living houses, living churches joyfully give glory to God for eternity. There is great joy in having a cured soul. We may not want to repent and believe at first. Our pride gets in the way. We don't want to humble ourselves. But if we truly do, there is a joy that comes and we wonder why we never did it before. Kind of like when the doctor, he's been advising you again and again to stop eating junk and start eating what is healthy. And you put it off, you put it off, you put it off. And then one day when you're feeling particularly crook and you're unhappy with the results of your eating lifestyle, your diet, you finally say, I'm going to start eating right. And you start to wish you'd done it before because you start to feel so much better and you wish you'd listened, you'd humbled yourself and listened to the doctor's advice before. So what about you? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned towards God? Turned from your sin, turned from unrighteousness to what is right, to righteousness, to God's ways? And have you believed? And are you continuing, as a Christian, to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? It's not as though as a Christian, we repent and believe when we become a Christian, and then we never repent and believe after that. I've just told Joshua, a minister of the gospel, that he needs to preach it to himself day by day in ministry. He needs to preach it to his wife, who's been a Christian for many years as well. Why is that? Because we all continue to sin, and we need to turn from our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you repented and believed? Are you dead or are you alive? Is your soul dying in sin or is your soul joyously living in repentance and faith? Are you someone who sings the truths of Samus' great hymn with joy in your heart by the Spirit's strength? We'll sing it at the end of the service. Look with me now in your bulletins there. The final hymn. When we walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, it says in verse 1, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 
Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I think we can substitute repent in there for obey, but it doesn't really rhyme. And, uh, but... That's what he's getting at, Samus. And that should be what's in our hearts too. That this is true. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and repent. That is true for all believers. It resonates in their hearts. It's true for everyone in the world. But many people reject the truth. Is it true for you? And do you, if you do trust and obey, do you have a dying ministry to others? Or do you have a living ministry by preaching repentance and faith? Do you not minister to others because... You don't call people to repent. You don't call people to trust in Jesus, or do you do that? And so you have a living ministry around those who are dying. All of us, not just Joshua, all of us, wherever we go, let us be doctors, giving life to the dead by proclaiming repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come before him now in prayer. Let us come before our God. Father, we come before you, the holy and righteous God. We confess that we have sinned against you and deserve to die and to be cast into hell for all eternity. But Lord, we come before you and we repent and we trust anew. And we thank you for giving us Christ Jesus and for granting us repentance and faith by the Spirit, which only you can do. Lord, we ask, though, that you would help us by the Spirit to live lives of repentance, to live lives of faith in the Lord Jesus, while all the time telling others to do the same, so that we and they may truly live. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who hasn't repented of their sins, they haven't faith in the Lord Jesus, grant them repentance and faith now, so that they are cured of sin and have eternal life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.